When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hey, Hall of Famer, yeah, Jim Calhoun, hey, NASCAR no. icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. It is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing it. I hope everybody is having a great day. Does your boy Torres love you or what? Third day of the week, third episode of the week. That is right. We got ourselves our Wednesday episode of The Pot. If you listen to Tuesday's bonus episode, the transfer portal opening college football, we hit on all the big names that entered. Why I bring it up today, we're going to do an update. A lot of the biggest names are already set to take visits. Some appear to be ready to commit. This is moving so fast. We got to talk about it all. From there, we'll take a quick break. Did you see what Evan Stewart, the star wide receiver at Texas A&M, said about their NIL setup? Very interesting comments about about Texas A&M's NIL. Very interesting comments. What's the truth? What's not? Fact from fiction. And oh, by the way, it is the return of our buddy Sliced Bread. That's right. He called out Sliced Bread. We talk about it. It's going to be crazy. Finally, we wrap. College Hoops. Tuesday night, Jimmy V Classic, the notable game. There are two notable games. No disrespect. The undercard, Florida Atlantic, Illinois. The headliner, UConn against North Carolina. UConn obviously looking to bounce back after that loss at Kansas on Sunday that I was lucky enough to be at. I guess it was Friday. Well, I don't know why I said Sunday. I recorded on Sunday. Was there Friday. With that said, I'm already rambling. We're a minute into the show. So with that said, there is no more time to waste. And let's get to... The topic of the day. Topic of the day, as I just said, listen. If you listened to our Tuesday bonus episode, we reacted to the opening day of the college football transfer portal. The big names that entered. What were the early rumors? Well, here's the crazy part about how fast this transfer portal is moving. It went from guys entering on Monday where virtually every major quarterback that is in the portal, we already have some sort of speculation on where they could end up. Many of them have visits already lined up. So let's dive into all of the updates just from yesterday's show. Let's go ahead and dive in. All right, I want to start. By the way, we're going to hit on all these guys, right? And on Dylan Gabriel, DJU, Kyle McCord, uh, Dante Moore, Brock Vandegrift, on and on. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump in. The first big piece of news, in my opinion, we're starting to see what the market is for Dylan Gabriel, a player that I like a lot. People don't remember, starter for the last two years at Oklahoma, led them to a 10-win season, led them to a win over Texas. And how about this? Over a five-year college career, he does have the bonus COVID year, over a five-year college career, Dylan Gabriel with over a 100 touchdown passes in his career, including notably this season that we just finished up 
30 touchdowns for the Oklahoma Sooners, again, leading them to a 10-win season. But as we discussed on Mon- on Tuesday's show, Oklahoma has a five-star redshirt named J- uh, Jackson Arnold, and Dylan Gabriel kind of understood, look, I ain't going to be a starter next year, so I got to look around. Why do I bring it up? It is because on Tuesday, Pete Thamel from ESPN reported, there's already a favorite for Dylan Gabriel and potentially even a visit lined up. That school, the Oregon Ducks. Now, there's also reports USC could get involved, some maybe some others. But let me say this. I actually think that if Gabriel ends up at Oregon, perfect match, perfect school, perfect fit, etc. Something that I'm not going to say about all of these guys on this list. Listen, Oregon, in my perspective, I I think they are one of the programs that's really positioned nicely for the next iteration of college football. Yes, they're going to the Big Ten. Yes, they just lost in the Pac-12 championship game. But I believe they have the right coach. And the one thing about Dan Landing, he knows how to recruit. We've talked about it before. This is a guy, I know people who are around him every day. They're like, dude, he's got a plan for this class, the junior class, the sophomore class, the portal, graduate. Like, he just loves to recruit. And so I bring it up because if you go to Oregon, you are going to have a chance to compete at the highest levels of the sport every year. The problem is when you're Oregon, you don't have a quarterback for next year. Bo Nix is completing his third year at Oregon. Uh, He is second year at Oregon. I apologize. I don't know why I said third year, second year at Oregon, fifth year of college football overall. Uh, And he's set to graduate and move on following the uh, Fiesta Bowl, which I, I think Dan Lanning said he plans to play in. So the one thing Oregon is missing is the quarterback spot. They're going to figure out receiver, offensive line, running back, defense. They're they're a juggernaut. They're they're a well-run organization. You need that plug-and-play quarterback, and Dylan Gabriel, to me, is that guy. Now, I know some people, Oklahoma fans, oh, the arm strength isn't there, da-da-da, this and that. Completed 70% of his passes this year, 30 touchdowns, 125 over the course of his career. You plug him in at Oregon without knowing what else they do in the portal, without knowing what else they do in high school recruiting where they currently have a top 10 class, I'm here to promise you they are again going to be good enough to not only compete for, how about this, a Big Ten title? I think they're right in the mix next year with Ohio State, Michigan, maybe Penn State, maybe Washington. They're going to be in the 12-team college football playoff. I, I think they're one of those programs that's going to be positioned every single year to make the playoff, but you need that veteran quarterback. Dylan Gabriel appears to be the guy. Another veteran quarterback where things are moving very quickly. He's a guy that actually didn't enter the portal on Monday. He actually was able to enter last week because his coach left. Things are moving quickly for him as well. That is Riley Leonard, the quarterback at Duke. Talked about him last week. Interesting story. Great junior year or or great year in 2022. I believe he was a redshirt sophomore at that time, but finished that season at Duke two years ago. Remember Duke won nine games that year. Finished that year with 2,900 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, with another 700 yards rushing and 13 touchdown scores. He was a guy that many were talking about as a potential first-round pick coming into this season. Then, unfortunately, just got hurt. Got hurt in the Florida State game, tried to come back for Louisville, but ended up only playing seven games. He only ended up playing about five where he was truly healthy. Mike Elko, his head coach, leaves. I think that was kind of Mike Elko's wake-up call of, We won nine games last year, but so much had to go right. One little injury here or there, it's tough to win at Duke. So Mike Elko leaves, which allows Riley Leonard to enter the portal. He does so last week. And as I said at the time, what was interesting about Riley Leonard's recruitment, 
he had a no contact on his recruitment. Why is that important? It means basically when you enter the portal, you can give out your, your information, how to get in touch, whatever, or you can have a no contact, which means don't contact me. I'll reach out to you. It's kind of like a, a first date, right? A bet you, you finish the first date. You don't call me. I'll call you. Well, that was what Riley Leonard did. And the speculation was he kind of already knew where he wanted to go from the beginning. It appeared as though Notre Dame was the favorite. He is from Alabama. So there was talk about Auburn, but I bring it up reports on Tuesday. Riley Leonard is visiting Duke on Wednesday. So by the time many of you listen, Riley Leonard is going to be on campus in South Bend. Don't be stunned if he commits this week. The one thing about the quarterback, you know, uh, free agency, if you will, the bottom line is there are a limited number of spots at big time schools. Everybody wants a guy. And I just don't think most of these kids are going to take two, three, four visits because they want a place. They want to earn. They want to know their spot, get in, frankly, you know, commit while the spot is still there. And then they got to get ready to enroll here in a few weeks, wherever they end up. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a Riley Leonard commitment over the next couple of days. I expect it to be Notre Dame. Will not be surprised when it happened, but he will visit on uh, Wednesday. And if it ends up happening, I think it's a good fit for, for him and Notre Dame. Notre Dame obviously loses Sam Hartman after this year. Also, I mentioned it last week, but CJ Carr, the grandson of Lloyd Carr, the former Michigan head coach, is committed in the class of 2024. That is important because you obviously want that bridge player, that bridge quarterback between Hartman and uh, CJ Carr. And so you go ahead and get this kid committed. He plays one year. Hopefully he gets healthy. He plays himself back into first round consideration and he is off to the NFL. A couple other updates of note. Find this one very interesting. Dante Moore, the former five-star quarterback who played last year at UCLA. For people who don't remember his story, he was the number two ranked quarterback in last year's high school class behind only Arch Manning. Commits to Oregon. Then when Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, leaves to be the head coach at Arizona State, ends up decommitting and going to UCLA. Plays for UCLA, plays a ton of snaps. And it just it, it just didn't work out. You know, I think he was a little, um, you know, kind of small. He's not a big kid. I think he needed some time in the weight room. But UCLA said, you're a five-star. We're going to throw you into the fire. Played about eight, nine games. Started about six, seven games. Uh, and finished with 11 touchdowns and nine interceptions. He was up, he was down, but late in the year with the UCLA offense kind of struggling, kind of limping to the finish line, they ended up putting Ethan Garbers, another player, in its starter. So Dante Moore ends up leaving, and but we know because of his pedigree, he is going to be a super high-profile recruit. Why do I bring it up? Saw a report from 24-7 Sports that really four schools are starting to emerge. Florida State who we know this week, we know they need a quarterback. We obviously have discussed that. Uh, Miami needs a quarterback. Um, who are the other two? Oregon, who he was, of course, committed to. We just talked about them. And the most interesting one to me, the Michigan Wolverines. Remember, for people who don't know, Dante Moore is actually from Michigan, played at Martin Luther King High School in Detroit. Um, and it was actually seen as like a big recruiting loss for Jim Harbaugh when he couldn't get this kid committed out of high school. So I just bring it up because there's also a report that the two schools that Michigan and Dante Moore have been in contact. I find it really interesting. Listen, bottom line is I think everybody expects JJ McCarthy to be gone after this year. They're going to need a quarterback. Uh, they do have a quarterback committed in 2024 named Jaden 
Davis. So that's kind of an interesting scenario because you'd think that that kid would expect to play as a second year player in 2025. But I guess that's a bridge that you cross when you get there. We'll see if Michigan ends up being the school, but that'd be a big win for Jim Harbaugh. Again, a kid that they wanted out of high school, they did not get for him to circle back. That would be a big deal. Uh, A couple other notes on Dante Moore. One, he did say, I'm not necessarily looking for a place that I can start, just be developed. Uh, Hard to argue with if Jim Harbaugh actually stays, that being a good spot to develop. So you have that. The other thing that I do think is worth noting, I think it's interesting that Ohio State does not appear to be in the mix on this kid. Uh, Ohio State, Kyle McCord, we'll talk about him in a minute, but this was a guy that I think everybody thought they would be involved in. It doesn't really feel like they are. If that's the case, do they have somebody else lined up? Maybe Cam Ward from Washington State. By the way, I hope you're following all this, but there's a lot of chess pieces with all of these uh, high-level quarterbacks that are trying to find new homes. A couple other names that are worth monitoring here uh, after one day. Just mentioned Kyle McCord. Talked about him on yesterday's show. Felt bad for him. Listen, when he left, I think one of two reactions happened. One, he was the starting quarterback at Ohio State. These kids are so soft. Why is he leaving? That was one reaction. The other reaction that I saw later was Ohio State, they're falling apart. Their starting quarterback doesn't even want to be there. And what I told you on Monday's show, Tuesday's show, the bonus episode, I said, this has been in the works for a while because when Michigan beat Ohio State, Kyle McCord seemed to take a disproportional amount of the blame for the loss. I said it on yesterday's show. Remember, Biggest drive of the season for Michigan. Ohio State has a $2 million a year defensive coordinator that's supposed to have solved all their problems. Then Michigan runs a 13-play, uh, seven-minute drive, which ends up in a field goal, and Ohio State gets the ball back with like 45, 50 seconds to go, and McCord's trying to make plays. Not saying he's perfect. Not saying he's C.J. Stroud. Not saying he's Justin Fields at Ohio State. Thought he took too much blame. And again, at the end of the day, it felt like this was one of the weird ones. Yes, you're the starter at Ohio State, but maybe the right move for you and the school, for everybody, for the player and for the fan base and for the coaching staff is for you to move on. Bring it up because uh, I mentioned Louisville a few days ago. The one that appears to have emerged, Nebraska is very involved with him. I think he met either met or spoke with Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator at Nebraska. I believe on three was the first one to report that. Um And we'll see what happens. Listen, I'm not here to speculate. And um, I mean, I guess I am speculating, but I'm not here to really say what is or is not going to happen. This one does to me feel like a little bit of a weird fit. And let me explain why. Um, Nebraska, when Matt Rule got there, he talked a lot about the importance of a dual threat quarterback, of a quarterback that can make plays with his feet. And that was why ultimately Jeff Sims got the job. And then after that, um, you know, the, the the backup replaced Jeff Sims, but that guy was kind of a dual threat quarterback as well. Why do I bring it up? It is because Kyle McCord can be described as a lot of things. Dual threat quarterback ain't one of them, okay? So Kyle McCord uh, is a kid that um, I'm looking at the stats right now. Negative 65 yards rushing this year. Now, admittedly, in college, the way the stats work, we all know, is that obviously part of the stats are when you get sacked, the sack yardage counts against your rushing yardage. But Kyle McCord, I would not describe as dual threat. So I think with Matt Rule, I get it. 
you need somebody. I don't know if Kyle McCord's the guy, though. I, I'm going to look into this one a little bit. I don't know if this one makes sense. Uh, two other updates really quick before we get out of here. I want to get to those Evan Stewart comments. One, DJU, DJ Uilagandale, saw a report on him that he could be down to three schools. Those three schools, remember, he was at Clemson, got a lot of blame, then went to Oregon State. And when Oregon State's head coach, Jonathan Smith, left, he enters the portal. The three schools that I have seen him link to is, one, I did see Florida State clearly needs a quarterback. We've discussed them plenty over the last couple days. Uh, Two, Louisville, which needs a quarterback. And I'll say this. I have no skin in the DJU. You know, uh, I have no skin in the game on that one. He should go wherever he wants. Go play for Jeff Brom. Like Jeff Brom got Jack Plummer to a a 10-win season in ACC championship game. Go, you might actually develop into an NFL quarterback under Jeff Brown because the thing about Jeff Brown, he'll let you throw the football. Oregon State this year, they really kind of, frankly, kind of limited what DJU did. They relied on the run game. Damian Martinez, that star running back. Um, DJU, go there. The, the third school is Mississippi State. Remember, Mississippi State, Jeff Lebby, the Oklahoma offensive coordinator, just took that head coaching job. No, I'm throwing a lot of names out, but I just bring it up because Mississippi State, I think, is going to get a good quarterback. DJU, I would choose. I think any of those three are good options if you can get them. But if you can play for Jeff Brom, if you can play for Jeff Levy, I think you'd do a lot worse. Last one that I can think of, but this one's important. Brock Vandegriff, the backup quarterback at Georgia. We talked about him on Tuesday's show. Again, a player that could have entered the portal last spring, last winter really, decided to come back for the spring, compete for the starting job with Carson Beck. After the spring, he did almost transfer then, but remember, the NCAA, that, excuse me, the SEC has a rule that in the spring, if you're, if you're playing for an SEC school, you can't, if you enter the portal, you can't go to another SEC school. That is important for obvious reasons, tampering, whatever. But I bring it up because Brock Vandegrift basically said, you know what, I can enter the portal now, but all of the options that I want might not be there. What I bring it up, he entered the portal on Monday. The first school linked to him was the University of Kentucky, who has to replace uh, Devin Leary. And I bring it up because there was an interview. Steve Wilfong, 24-7 Sports, interviewed Brock Vandegrift's dad, who said, we expect to make a commitment this weekend, and we'll probably commit and then visit after. I mean, I'm not here to say anything negative about Mark Stoops and his staff. I mean, it's clear when when you enter the portal and everybody knows where you're going and you're going to commit and then visit after. This has probably been in the works for a while. To be clear, I don't care. Everybody tampers. Uh, my university, UConn, does it, so I'm not here to criticize anybody. It's clear that all these – by the way, I, I don't want this to sound like a negative Mark Stoops thing. Everybody tampers everywhere. I just bring it up, say, by the way, I don't know if UConn tampered. I don't know if Kentucky tampered. Okay, so I don't need, like, people in the comment section. Like, oh, Torres Torres just said Jim Mora. I don't know what Jim Mora does behind the scenes. What I'm here to say, everybody puts out feelers throughout the season trying to get a feel for who is going in the portal, who isn't. But with Brock Vandegrift, the bottom line is 
if that kid entered the portal on Monday, already linked to Kentucky, and plans on committing before even visiting, you have a pretty good idea that he probably know where he wants to go. And again, Kentucky appears to be the leader there. What a portal update. We'll do all these as they come. You know, it's it's going to be a busy, busy, busy month of portal activity, of recruiting activity. So stay tuned. I, I, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but the gossip of November and December in college football, it's hard to beat. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, speaking of gossip, Evan Stewart, star wide receiver, Texas A&M. Very interesting things to say about NIL and our old buddy Sliced Bread. Remember Sliced Bread from a few years ago? If you don't remember, I'm going to explain next. We'll we'll wrap with College Hoops. Busy Tuesday, Wednesday show. I said Tuesday, but I meant Wednesday. My days are all mixed up, doing too many pods. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And let me say this, is that with the season, this is a fun time of year to do a show like this. Because with the season now over, we can dive into some stuff that we wouldn't normally talk about, frankly, during the season, right? The season becomes, is really fun, but obviously we know what the, 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 the kind of the, the, what's the right word I'm looking for here? The, the arc of a week goes during the season. Monday, we're recapping games. Midweek, we start to look ahead. Friday, it is full-blown preview. So there's a lot of just interesting things that slip through the cracks that we don't get to talk about. As I say all the time, the best part about college football, it's all the gossip and rumor and innuendo and chisme. In Spanish, we call it chisme, the gossip of college football. And so there's certainly a topic that I want to get into right now. And that certainly fits under this category that we probably wouldn't have talked about if it happened during the season, but it happened now. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, do we have to dive in. Did you see? What Evan Stewart, star wide receiver at Texas A&M had to say about the whole setup there with NIL and he kind of called into some questions and some stuff happened and what's the truth, what's fiction, it all centers around that 2022 historically great recruiting class. Did he drop a nugget that is absolutely worth discussing? Now, before we get into what Evan Stewart said, I, I think it's at least worth it. I know so much stuff happens in everyday life. We don't, you don't remember all the details. So let me refresh kind of your memories to set up what happened this week, and then we'll discuss that. But obviously, look, with Texas A&M, the story around that program for the better part of really about two years, dating back to December of 2021, is the historically great 2022 recruiting class, most of which signed in December of 2021. If you remember at the time, it was literally the greatest recruiting class in the history of recruiting rankings. Um, and at the time, the, the the innuendo was, well, there was no way that Texas A&M of all schools could legitimately sign the number one recruiting class in the history of college football if they weren't cheating their butts off and paying out their behinds in NIL. And so that was kind of a conversation. Lane Kiffin had a press conference where he basically talked about uh, Texas A&M salary cap. Uh, This was before the Nick Saban stuff. But it was kind of just a thing that was kind of loosely thought. And then it became kind of public common knowledge when someone named Sliced Bread. This is all true. You can look it up. Google it. Sliced Bread 
went on an Oklahoma message board and said, well, you know, I hear from people that I know because everybody on a message board knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows the mail guy at this place or whatever the mailman delivered this. The point I'm trying to make, someone named Slice Bread went on an Oklahoma message board and said the only reason Texas A&M signed their number one class was because they had a slush fund essentially that paid every Texas A&M player in that recruiting class a million dollars a piece. And that was how Texas A&M signed that class. That was the only way that was according to slice bread. Now, for some reason that I'm still not aware of that report kind of got circulated in such a way that it became like fact. And I think this is the scary part of the world that we live in, to be honest, is that people just see stuff on the internet and it just somehow becomes common fact. Like I remember credible news outlets, credible people, just talking about it in the open, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, Texas A&M, they paid the number one recruiting class. Everybody got a million dollars. And at the time, I think I was the only one. I was like, are we sure that that's really what happened? Can we get somebody a little more credible than a dude or chick, I guess, named Slice Bread on a message board? Can we get something credible? So I bring it up. You're probably sitting here saying, why are we talking about Slice Bread today, two years after the fact? Well, let's go back full circle to what Evan Stewart said earlier this week as it pertained to NIL and sliced bread. So the portal opens on Monday. There's rumors about AM guys going in. Walter Nolan, I'm still not officially sure if he's actually in, but Hayes Fawcett puts out a report that uh, he plans to enter the transfer portal. And I bring it up because a player on Texas A&M's roster named Bobby Taylor, who was part of that 2022 recruiting class, puts out a post on Instagram that says this. He said, no way... Two years ago, you could have told me Jimbo would be fired, coaches leave, and half the class dips. How that happened? Evan Stewart then, and this is where it gets juicy, under the comment section, basically says that this is exactly what he says. He comments on an Instagram post. So we're talking about comments on an Instagram post here on a Wednesday Air Taurus pod. That's how we roll, baby. But Evan Stewart says, I saw it coming freshman year when I didn't get paid a dollar from A&M but sliced bread had y'all thinking we was millionaires. And so Evan Stewart becomes a national headline because he commented on Bobby Taylor's Instagram post. And this story went viral and I got a lot of thoughts, but I actually see it differently than most. I think most people see it as a shot at Texas A&M, a shot at NIL. Oh my goodness. All those kids went and none of them got paid. Well, here's my question. If all of them went and none of them got paid, then why are they all still there? Most of the players in that class are still there. Now, we'll see what happens with this portal you know, cycle over these next few weeks. But Evan Stewart's still there. Most of the best players are still there. And so what I saw it is, is what I talked about at the time. I said, do I think that NIL played no role in the 2022 recruiting class working the way that it did? No, I don't think NIL. I think NIL plays some role in every recruitment everywhere in America football, basketball, maybe even in sometimes a sport like baseball or whatever. But do I think, this is what I said at the time, and I still believe it now, do I think that NIL was the only reason? Do I think there was a magic slush fund with a million dollars per player according to Slice Bread? I thought it was ridiculous then, and what Evan Stewart said confirmed it. I believe that most of that class went to Texas A&M because they actually wanted to be a Texas A&M. I know it sounds crazy, but I remember talking about this at the time. Did a big segment, went crazy viral. 
there were a lot of legitimate reasons outside of NIL why Texas A&M put together that recruiting class that nobody wanted to talk about. Everybody wanted to talk about sliced bread. No, 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 no. There were legitimate reasons that class came together. First off, let's get into why that class came together because it certainly wasn't NIL and why the class is staying together at least so far. It's because they like A&M. And there are a lot of different reasons why. One, why did the class come together? First of all, you can criticize Jimbo Fisher for a lot. Wasn't a good game day coach. Overpaid. Stole money from the school. Uh, you know, left Florida State high and dry and in a terrible, terrible position that Mike Norvell is just now starting to clean up. Okay. But the one thing you can never say, Jimbo Fisher always could recruit, man. He could always recruit in the pre-NIL era and in the post-NIL era. Go back and look at the recruiting classes before 2022, okay? In the pre-2022 recruiting class, 2021, he signed the number eight recruiting class in the country. 2020, he signed the number six recruiting class in the country. And in 2019, he signed the number four recruiting class in the country. So the three years before the historic 2022 class, he had top 10 classes, including one top five class at Texas A&M. So he could always recruit pre-NIL and then 2022. Well, you still, you can't go from six to one or four to one or eight to one. Yeah, you can. Because as I said at the time, there was a wild confluence of events that led to that A&M class coming together that wasn't just NIL. First of all, remember, Texas A&M, where is it located on a map? You don't need to be a geography expert to know. There is uh, a major city that is a major high school football hotbed about an hour from College Station, Houston, Texas. I've been there many times. I was there for the Final Four. You can get in a car, drive, and in about an hour, you can be in College Station. And Houston has always been Texas A&M's recruiting home base. That year was a historically great class in Houston. I forget all the details. I'm not going to go through all the players. But the bottom line is you go back to that season. Houston had a historic recruiting year, okay, as far as talent that it produced. I remember there being a stat where it was like, if Texas A&M only signed the kids out of Houston that they signed, or the Houston area, they would have still ended up with the number 12 class overall. So just the Houston kids, number 12 class, including Connor Wigman, who is going to be the starting quarterback next year. So that's one. Two, and I think this is important. Remember when most of those kids committed to Texas A&M. Remember, when a kid commits, for the most part, they commit, most kids commit the summer after their junior years. Summer after their junior years, they take all the campus visits, they get offers, they sit down with the coach in the office, they, they kiss babies and shake hands. Coach says, we want you. Kid says, I'm coming. Most kids commit in the summer of their junior year. Well, what was the summer of all those players' junior years? Let's do some math, okay? So they graduate high school in the spring of 2022, which means they started their senior years in the fall of 2021, which means most committed in the summer of 2021. Why is that important? Oh, I don't know. It was because Texas A&M was coming off the best season of the Jimbo Fisher era. They went 9-1 and one in the COVID year. Now, we can look back and say it was a mirage, an aberration. But at the time, Texas A&M finished fifth in the college football playoff rankings, nearly made the college football playoff. 
And so I bring it up because at the time, like there was a thought like Texas A&M really is on the rise. They just finished nine and one. They just finished fifth in the college football playoff rankings. And you don't think Jimbo Fisher sold that to those kids? Hey, we're really close. We're at number five. You all come here. Guess what? We're going to be number one by the time you leave here. And they still might be. Maybe Mike Elko will get up there. Jimbo will get up there. But they still might be if that group largely sticks together. Keep in mind also, a lot of those kids visited in the fall of 2021. What happened in the fall of 2021? Oh, Texas A&M beat Alabama. So even though it wasn't an incredible season on the field, most kids committed. Then they're all visiting when Texas A&M beats Alabama. It all makes sense. Finally, and I think this is a really important part that nobody talks about. You know what else worked in Texas A&M's favor? A few things with the coach and carousel. One, Steve Sarkeesian had just finished a bad first year at Texas A&M, five and seven overall. Okay, Not here to pick on Steve Sarkeesian. He's done an amazing job. Has Texas in the playoff. He's the man. Can't knock him. I was critical of him in the preseason. He has that Texas program rolling right now. But he was coming off a five and seven year. Texas was not a hot brand in college football at that time. But beyond that, that was a wildly volatile coaching carousel that led to a lot of Texas A&M success. Remember, that was the year. USC fires Clay Helton in September. LSU fires Coach O in October. That leads to Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma. Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame. And then, oh, by the way, Florida fires Dan Mullen. Miami fires Manny Diaz all in the same year. So think about that. Coaching changes at LSU, USC, Miami, Florida, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Why does that matter? There was a lot of kids that were committed other places that switched their commitments when the coach that was recruiting them left. We talked about this at the time. There was a five-star, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, top 10 player in America, was down to Oklahoma and Texas A&M, commits to Oklahoma, ready to go to Oklahoma. Then Lincoln Riley leaves, says, I'm not going to USC. I'm going to go to Texas A&M. Still at A&M, by the way, at least as I know, unfortunately, has dealt with a lot of injuries. Bring it up. Jacoby Matthews, four-star safety from Louisiana. Forget if he was ever technically committed to LSU, but LSU was the favorite. Then Coach O gets fired. Ends up at A&M. Shamar Stewart, five-star defensive lineman from Miami. Was down to Miami, Florida, and Texas A&M. Miami fires its coach. Florida fires its coach. Shamar Stewart says, well, I'm not going to go play for Billy Napier. I don't know Billy Napier. I'm not going to play for Mario Cristobal. I don't know Mario Cristobal. Where does he end up? Texas A&M. So listen, goes back to what I, I feel like you, you ever see, if you, if you haven't watched the show, you've certainly seen the gif, the Johnny drama victory gif from Entourage. That's how I feel here. Because to me, this vindicates what I said. I never believed that Texas A&M could not put together a recruiting class without egregiously overpaying for players. And by the way, I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. People want to say, oh, Evan Stewart was taking a shot at NIL. I don't think he was taking a shot at NIL. I think what he was saying was, if you thought that we were millionaires by coming to A&M, you're an idiot. And again, it goes back to what I said a minute ago. If it was only about NIL and they didn't get paid and that's all it was about, then why haven't all of them bounced? The only ones that have really bounced are the ones that were in trouble. Walter Nolan this week said he would go in the portal, but everybody else is still there. Now, it may change. I don't know. I'm just bringing it up to say this feels like victory for Torres. 
uh, because I never bought that dumb narrative and neither should you. And by the way, two quick closing thoughts because I want to get to some other stuff. But I bring it up for two reasons. One, be careful the media you consume. Even good media members ran with that. Oh, I mean, they're, everyone knows AM's paying a million dollars a year. Yeah, they're paying a million dollars a year to 30 kids. There's a $30 million slush fund just lying around. The three-star punter got a million dollars coming to AM. Really, that's what we're doing. So be careful. And then two, lastly, I'll say this. I do think this is the lasting legacy of Jimbo Fisher. Wasn't good enough on the field. Didn't win enough games. Lost too many games that he shouldn't lose. We've been over that time and time and time and time and time and time again. But he proved you can recruit at an elite level at AM. There are enough good players to go around. The resources are there. The facilities are there. Uh, the stadium, the game day experience is incredible. Now we'll see if Mike Elko, what he can do with the leftovers from that 2022 class. By the way, we'll see how much of that 2022 class ends up staying and finishing this thing out. But I never believed that story. Evan Stewart confirmed it. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit of college hoops. UConn, North Carolina, Tuesday night. You know, I want to discuss that. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap with just a little bit of college hoops. And listen, if you're a college hoops fan and you're like, Torres, why are you not talking more college hoops? I'm here to tell you. Give us a couple weeks. We're starting to ramp up. I got my eye on everything. I see what's going on. I just don't talk about it a ton because college football just ended. The portal just opened. Things are getting crazy in college football. But I'm here to promise you, we're talking so much college hoops here over the next four or five months, baby. December into January, into February, into March, plus the portal. Oh, it is coming. It is on like Donkey Kong, as the kids say. Anyway, I do want to get to a busy <laughs> That was awful. Forgive me. Busy College Hoops night on Tuesday. want to dive in. And obviously, look, I want to start uh, the games that I think everybody kind of had their eye on. That was the Jimmy V Classic, New York City, Madison Square Garden. First of all, you don't need me to say, I, listen, I, I've criticized ESPN for a lot. I'm so glad that they continue this Jimmy V legacy, these games, what they're about, the speech, cancer awareness. Um, I don't mean to get emotional or serious. This is a fun show. It's supposed to be a loose show, but this is a serious topic. Uh, and I'm so glad that they put a spotlight on this, on, on cancer research, on raising funds, et cetera. So credit to ESPN for a great event as always. Um, and from a basketball perspective, let's start with the UConn-North Carolina game. Top 10 matchup. UConn, of course, the last time we saw them on the court was Friday night at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Well, UConn bounces back very nicely with a very nice win. Final score, 87-76 at Madison Square Garden. What was interesting about this game, a couple things. One, really chippy game early. And I, I give Carolina a little bit of credit, right? North Carolina or, or UConn likes to be the bully. They like to be tough. They like to push you around. North Carolina is a veteran team. Armando Baycott, fifth-year guy. R.J. Davis, Davis fifth-year guy. Bunch of graduate transfers, older players. They're not going to be pushed around. And so it got chippy early. Baycott gets a technical late in the first half. Cam Spencer gets a technical early in the second half. And it was just kind of a back-and-forth game until about 10 minutes to go. Now, what ended up happening? What happens in so many different UConn games, we've talked about it before, 
I just think UConn plays with an intensity and a relentlessness that eventually wears teams down. You saw it on Tuesday night. It was a five-point game with 10 minutes to go. Then UConn kept getting the loose balls. They kept getting second, third chance points. Before you know it, it's a 10, 15-point game. They end up winning by 12 when all was said and done. From the UConn perspective, I think there's so many positives. One, first of all, you nearly won at Fog Allen Fieldhouse on Friday night. That's a positive in and of itself. But in terms of this game, very nice bounce back win. And really, it shows you how deep this UConn team is. Cam Spencer, who was banged up at Fog Allen, maybe had his worst game as a Husky, and it was because he had a turf toe injury. So I'm not saying he played poorly, but he finishes this game with 23 points. Tristan Newton, who I believe is right up there, probably with Reed Shepard from Kentucky as the best guards in college basketball so far this season, 14-5-5 for Tristan Newton. And here's the crazy thing for UConn. One, this is a positive, but Stefan Castle, true freshman, McDonald's All-American, likely lottery pick, just coming back from injury. And then UConn beats Carolina by double figures. I'm not sure that they got anything close to the best game from Alex Caravan or Donovan Klingon, who along with Tristan Newton are two of the three marquee returnees from last year's national championship team. Alex Caravan, to me, has all-American potential, but I'm just going to be honest, he has not been playing great of late, and that's okay. It's basketball. It's a process. It takes time. Not everybody's a finished product from day one. But he finishes with 16 points. I think a lot of people would say, well, I mean, Torres, what are you talking about? He didn't play well. I'm here to tell you, I've watched every game that he's ever played in college pretty much. He finished two of nine from three. He missed about three wide open threes that he nailed a year ago. It weren't even a question. Went down, no no doubt about it at all. And you look at this year. This was a guy that was a 40% three-point shooter last year. Right now, he's shooting just 31% from behind the arc. And that's okay. It's going to take time. But the point that I'm trying to make, there's only room for him to grow. There's only room for Donovan Klingon to grow, who was in foul trouble and fouled out of the North Carolina game. Dan Hurley talked about it at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. He said, look, Hunter Dickinson, you know, had a, I don't want to speak for Dan Hurley. I don't know the exact quote off the top of my head, but he said, Hunter Dickinson had a great game, but that's good prep for what we're going to get in our, in Armando Baycott. And Donovan Klingon isn't playing good basketball right now. And so if you're a UConn fan, how can you not feel good? No, uh, you know, Stefan Castle's limited. Uh, Donovan Klingon isn't playing his potential. I think there's another gear for Alex Carabin. You still get a double-figure win against the Carolina team that came in 8-1. and one. Last thought from the UConn perspective, let me say this. They had a freshman named Solomon Ball, Solo Ball. It's, you, know, it's, you know, he goes by Solo in the UConn circles. Best game of his career, 13 points, three made three-pointers. I'm just here to tell you this. Listen, I, I'm not trying to be an arrogant UConn fan. If UConn gets... 13 points a game. If they get that kind of performance from Solomon Ball, I'm here to tell you they're probably the best team in college basketball again. Now, I don't know if they can get that every single night, but again, Caravan's going to get better. Donovan Klingon's going to get better. Give it time. They're going to figure it out. So great win for UConn. They now have a couple games left. They do play Gonzaga, not this coming Friday, but the next one if you're looking for another UConn marquee game. But I'm here to tell you, I think this team is, is, is starting to figure it out and starting to get better as they go into Big East play. Dan Hurley said it on Friday at Fog Allen. I was there. He said, look, this team has the potential to be as good or better than last year's team, but we're not there yet. From the North Carolina perspective, I'll say this. I, you know, I like North Carolina. Now, maybe I'm a little biased. I picked them to go to the Final Four, but they are largely the team 
that I thought they would be coming into the year. As I said from the beginning, the whole messaging coming out of Carolina over the last, whatever it is, eight, nine months dating back to the end of last year. Remember, preseason number one last year, missed the NCAA tournament. The messaging was Caleb Love was kind of the problem. And I don't hear you say Caleb Love is a bad kid. I know the Arizona people love him. He's been great at Arizona. But what I said was, I think the pieces fit better. I think Carolina is going to be pretty good. Well, as we record right here, right now, Carolina is 7-2 and two this season. They beat Arkansas in the Bahamas. They took care of business against some other teams. They opened SEC, uh, ACC play with a win over Florida State. And, of course, that dominant win over Tennessee uh, just a few nights ago in the SEC-ACC Challenge. Big night for R.J. Davis, 26 points. But overall, I'm just here to say I like Carolina. I mean, look, I don't think they're like number one seed good. But if you watch the ACC this year, I think Miami's pretty good. I think Virginia is actually better than I gave them credit for. Duke is not as good as people thought. Uh, Clemson, I know Clemson's having a good year, but come on. Clemson's had good starts before. But you look at the ACC. I think Carolina could win this thing. I think Virginia is going to win it. Because Virginia wins it every year. By the way, Duke overrated. We've talked about it already on like the last three episodes. But if you're Carolina, you got to feel good going into ACC play. 20 league games. I, I, I think you can finish second. I think you can finish first depending on how things go. But like what I see out of this team so far. So credit to Carolina. Credit to UConn. Great game. Madison Square Garden. Both fan bases showed out well. UConn gets the win. Really quickly going through some of the other results from Tuesday night in college hoops as my voice starts to go. Sorry, I just talk all day every day, so my voice is going to go at some point. It's going right now. Forgive me. First game at MSG was an interesting one. Illinois plays Florida Atlantic. And Illinois, to its credit, takes care of business in that one. The final score in this game, 98-89 to as Villanova, or as Villanova, Villanova did not get the victory on, on Tuesday night. We'll talk about them in a minute. But Illinois gets the win 98-89. The interesting little nugget from this game, you can throw this around at your next cocktail party, share with friends and family. In the history of the Jimmy V Classic, there was one performance better than what we saw from two different Illinois players uh, on, on Tuesday night. So Jay Williams, currently of ESPN, has the all-time scoring record in the Jimmy V Classic. Number two and number three are Terrence Shannon Jr. and Marcus Domashek. however you say his name. Illinois, Illinois fans, forgive me. He's a baller. Domashek, I think is how you say his name. He is a baller. Each of them finished with 33 points. And so Illinois gets the win. Let me say this about Illinois. If you listen to this show closely, I said Illinois played on the opening week of the season. They played Marquette at home. And they were in complete control. Marquette rallied to win. I said, that's like the best win we're going to see all year. Marquette going into Illinois and winning. But I bring it up because if you remember in the preseason, Illinois played Kansas at home in a charity exhibition in which both teams were trying to win that game. And Illinois came out with the victory. And so I bring it up because I think Illinois is about one of the 10 to 12 best teams I've seen in college basketball this year. Only loss right now was to Marquette at home. Marquette's really good. Um, and that three-headed monster uh, of Marcus Domashek, uh, uh, Coleman Hawkins, and TJ Shannon, Terrence Shannon Jr., that's as good as any trio in college basketball. And so in a year where, I'll be honest, don't really trust Purdue. We'll talk about them at some point down the road. Michigan State, 
lost again on Tuesday. We'll talk about them momentarily. Why can't Illinois win the Big Ten? Now, Purdue should be favored, but Illinois has all the pieces, that three-headed monster. They got dudes, man. I'm here to tell you, Illinois is a really good team. Look out for them. I think I said it after the Marquette game. I said, look, um, you know, I, I they're a team that I think if I had to do my preseason top 25 over, I think I had them 26-27. I would have had them in the top 20. That was probably a team that I missed, but Illinois gets the win. Really quickly, I want to give credit to Mar- uh, Florida Atlantic because, listen, they made a Final Four last year. We all know that. And I think there's a natural inclination. Small school makes a Final Four. And it is worth noting, like they easily could have lost in the first round of the tournament last year to Memphis. I think the stat was like Memphis had the ball like up four with like 30 seconds to go and somehow lost the game. But I bring it up because when you bring everybody back in college basketball, everyone just assumes like, oh, you know, you're going to keep doing what you're doing. And it doesn't always work like that. But the Florida Atlantic guys seem to be bought in. This was a game they easily could have won. Want to go ahead and give them a little bit of credit because I I thought they were just as good as Illinois. And Illinois, I believe, is as good as any team in the Big Ten. Crazy thing from the Florida Atlantic perspective, their big guy, Vlad Golston, it was in foul trouble the entire game. Golden the entire game. Still finished with 23 points in this game. But played far from his best game. But overall, Florida Atlantic, I'm just really impressed. I really thought... Okay, they struck lightning in a bottle. How good are they really? Da 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 da. Well, guess what? They're sitting at seven and two. They won one of the MTEs. They beat Texas A&M, which is a really good team this year. They also took care of business against a Butler team that has been surprisingly good so far this season. Butler sitting at seven and two coming on a Tuesday night. So I just give Florida Atlantic credit because I think they're better than I thought. They don't get the win against Illinois, but they are a little bit better. Really quickly, a couple more results from Tuesday night. A couple teams I've told you about did not look very good. One, Michigan State loses at home to Wisconsin. Now, look, Wisconsin might just be good. They, they lost early in the year to Tennessee um, and took another loss along the way. But remember, Wisconsin beat Marquette at home on, on, on Saturday. Watched most of that game on my flight back from Kansas to L.A. Um. And then they go into the, uh, you know, into the Breslin Center and they get a win against Michigan State on Tuesday night. Now, I want to credit Wisconsin, who has now nicely bounced back, a definitive top 25 team. But I think it's time to hit the panic button if you're Michigan State. Do you know right now Michigan State is four and four? They started the preseason in the top five. They're currently four and four. That ties for the worst record ever. Well, not ever. Of the last 40 years for a team that started the year in the preseason top five, they're four and four right now. And when I look at Michigan State, listen, I get a lot of stuff right. I get a lot of stuff wrong. I kind of nailed this the night of the Champions Classic. I watched the Duke game. They don't win. And what I told you at the time, I said, I don't know if they have a second guy outside of a kid by the name of um, of Tyson Walker. So I said, Tyson Walker is a dude that can get buckets. He can do whatever. I don't know if they have that second guy, though that can go ahead and get you 15, 18, 20 points if you need it when he's not playing well. Well, coming into Tuesday night, Tyson Walker's averaging 20 a game. The second leading scorer is averaging 10 a game. And Tuesday night was pretty much the same problem for Michigan State. At home, they lose by 13. Tyson Walker finishes with 22. The next leading scorer for Michigan State had 14. Nobody else had more than five. When you have two guys combined for 36 points and nobody else scores more than five, 
you're kind of sort of screwed. And that's kind of who I think Michigan State is this year. I, I, I just think they are what they are. They're fine. They're not elite. They'll probably make the tournament. They might win a game because Tom Izzo's a great tournament coach. I think they're limited in what they do. I don't think they're a top 25 team. I'm sorry. I think that's the fact. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. So Michigan State takes a loss. Congrats to Wisconsin. Really quickly, one other result. Got to talk really quickly about Villanova at Kansas State. This is part of that Big East Big Big 12 challenge, which, by the way, the Big East is getting punked hard in this event. I don't think you can really blame UConn for losing at Kansas on Friday night, but that was part of this event. Um, you know, uh, Providence lost at Oklahoma. I like Providence, but Oklahoma is undefeated. Oklahoma plays Arkansas this weekend, by the way. Um, but I bring it up because Villanova lost on the road to Kansas State. Now, I'm not here to, like, freak out about Villanova losing at Kansas State. Kansas State plays in a building called the Octagon of Doom, as tough of a place as anybody to play in college basketball. At the same time, with the loss, Villanova is now 6-4 and four overall. They've now lost three straight games. They lost to St. Joseph's last Wednesday. They lost to Drexel. Drexel last Saturday. And now they lost to Kansas State in overtime. And again, I'm not going to freak out about a loss to Kansas State at Kansas State. But you know now, Kyle Neptune, this is the guy who replaced Jay Wright. He's been on the job since the start of last season. So less than a year and a half. He already has three separate losing streaks of three plus games. And I said it last year. I want to make excuse. Justin Moore was injured. He was the returning player from the Final Four team who got hurt in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Cam Whitmore, freshman, was hurt. Everybody wants to make excuses for Kyle Neptune. And I said, like, you're Villanova. You're losing games that Villanova should never lose, period. Well, now they're 6-4. and They have a loss to St. Joseph's. They have a loss to Drexel. They have a loss to Penn. And I think it's officially time to, 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 to do the panic button. If you want, I guess, some entertainment, I wouldn't do this if I was a Kyle Neptune supporter. You search Kyle Neptune on Twitter right now, it is not pretty. Villanova is 6-4. and four. They are struggling. The wild part is they won the battle for Atlantis. They beat Carolina. They beat Texas Tech. And they beat Memphis in Atlantis. But they have now lost three in a row since getting back to the States. And they are a team that is as confusing as any as Villanova takes its third straight loss on Tuesday night. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. What a show. Covered a lot of ground. There is no show in America that covers ground like your boy Torres does. But with that said, it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, please make sure to subscribe to this channel. Click the like button, click the subscribe button, put the notifications on. Time for me to go. Time for me to get out of here. My voice is just about gone. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. Pat McAfee, too. You unblock me. I don't know what I did, but you see Matt. I'll be back on Friday. New episode. Aaron Torsby.